This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The Swiss Family Robinson by Johann David Wyss. Chapter 20 The next morning I decided on returning to the wreck. The idea of the pinnace continually haunted my mind, and left me no repose. But it was necessary to take all the hands I could raise, and, with difficulty, I got my wife's consent to take my three elder sons, on promising her we would return in the evening. We set out, taking provision for the day, and soon arrived at the vessel, when my boys began to load the raft with all manner of portable things. But the great matter was the pinnace. It was contained in the after-hold of the vessel, immediately below the officers' berths. My sons, with all the ardour of their age, begged to begin by clearing a space in the vessel to put the pinnace together, and we might afterwards think how we should launch it. Under any other circumstances I should have shown them the folly of such an undertaking. But in truth I had myself a vague hope of success that encouraged me, and I cried out, To work! To work! The hold was lighted by some chink in the ship's side. We set diligently to work, hacking, cutting, and sawing away all obstacles, and before evening we had a clear space round us. But now it was necessary to return, and we put to sea with our cargo, purposing to continue our work daily. On reaching the Bay of Safety we had the pleasure of finding my wife and Francis, who had established themselves at Tent House, intending to continue there till our visits to the vessel were concluded, that they might always keep us in sight and spare us the unnecessary labour of a walk after our day's work. I thanked my wife tenderly for this kind sacrifice, for I knew how much she enjoyed the cool shade of Falcon's Nest, and in return I showed her the treasures we had brought her from the vessel, consisting of two barrels of salt butter, three hogsheads of flour, several bags of millet, rice, and other grains, and a variety of useful household articles, which she conveyed with great delight to our storehouse in the rocks. For a week we spent every day in the vessel, returning in the evening to enjoy a good supper and talk of our progress, and my wife, happily engrossed with her poultry and other household cares, got accustomed to our absence. With much hard labour the pinnace was at last put together. Its construction was light and elegant. It looked as if it would sail well. At the head was a short half-deck. The masts and sails were like those of a brigantine. We carefully caulked all the seams with tow, dipped in melted tar, and we even indulged ourselves by placing the two small guns in it, fastened by chains. And there stood the beautiful little bark, immovable on the stocks. We admired it incessantly, but what could we do to get it afloat? The difficulty of forcing a way through the mighty timbers lined with copper that formed the side of the ship was insurmountable. Suddenly, suggested by the excess of my despair, a bold but dangerous idea presented itself to me, in which all might be lost as well as all gained. I said nothing about this to my children, to avoid the vexation of a possible disappointment, but began to execute my plan. I found a cast-iron mortar, 
exactly fitted for my purpose, which I filled with gunpowder. I then took a strong oak plank to cover it, to which I fixed iron hooks, so that they could reach the handles of the mortar. I cut a groove in the side of the plank, that I might introduce a long match, which should burn at least two hours before it reached the powder. I placed the plank then over the mortar, fastened the hooks through the handles, surrounded it with pitch, and then bound some strong chains round the hole, to give it greater solidity. I proceeded to suspend this infernal machine against the side of the ship near our work, taking care to place it where the recoil from the explosion should not injure the pinnace. When all was ready, I gave the signal of departure, my sons having been employed in the boat, and not observing my preparations. I remained a moment to fire the match, and then hastily joined them with a beating heart, and proceeded to the shore. As soon as we reached our harbour I detached the raft that I might return in the boat as soon as I heard the explosion. We began actively to unload the boat, and, while thus employed, a report like thunder was heard. All trembled, and threw down their load in terror. "'What can it be?' cried they. "'Perhaps a signal from some vessel in distress. Let's go to their assistance.' "'It came from the vessel,' said my wife. "'It must have blown up. You have not been careful of fire, and have left some near a barrel of gunpowder.' "'At all events,' said I, "'we will go and ascertain the cause. Who'll go with me?' By way of reply, my three sons leaped into the boat, and, consoling the anxious mother by a promise to return immediately, away we rowed. We never made the voyage so quickly. Curiosity quickened the movements of my sons, and I was all impatience to see the result of my project. As we approached, I was glad to see no appearance of flames, or even smoke. The position of the vessel did not seem altered. Instead of entering the vessel as usual, we rounded the prow, and came opposite the other side. The greater part of the side of the ship was gone. The sea was covered with the remains of it. In its place stood our beautiful pinnace, quite uninjured, only leaning a little over the stocks. At the sight I cried out, in a transport that amazed my sons, "'Victory! Victory! The charming vessel is our own! It will be easy now to launch her!' "'Ah, I comprehend now,' said Fritz. "'Papa has blown up the ship. But how could you manage to do it so exactly?' I explained all to him, as we entered through the broken side of the devoted vessel. I soon ascertained that no fire remained, and that the pinnace had escaped any injury. We set to work to clear away all the broken timbers in our way, and by the aid of the jackscrew and levers we moved the pinnace, which we had taken care to build on rollers, to the opening, then attaching a strong cable to her head, and fixing the other end to the most solid part of the ship, we easily launched her. It was too late to do any more now, except carefully securing our prize, and we returned to the good mother, to whom, wishing to give her an agreeable surprise, we merely said that the side of the vessel was blown out with powder but we were still able to obtain more from it, at which she sighed, and in her heart I have no doubt, wished the vessel and all it contained at the bottom of the sea. We had two days of incessant labour in fitting and loading the pinnace. Finally, after putting up our masts, 
ropes and sails, we selected a cargo of things our boats could not bring. When all was ready, my boys obtained permission, as a reward for their industry, to salute their mamma as we entered the bay, by firing our two guns. Fritz was captain, and Ernest and Jack, at his command, put their matches to the guns and fired. My wife and little boy rushed out in alarm, but our joyful shouts soon reassured them, and they were ready to welcome us with astonishment and delight. Fritz placed a plank from the pinnace to the shore, and, assisting his mother, she came on board. They gave her a new salute, and christened the vessel the Elizabeth after her. My wife praised our skill and perseverance, but begged we would not suppose that Francis and she had been idle during our long absence. We moored the little fleet safely to the shore, and followed her up the river to the Cascade, where we saw a neat garden laid out in beds and walks. "'This is our work,' said she. "'The soil here, being chiefly composed of decayed leaves, is light and easy to dig. There I have my potatoes, there manioc roots, these are sown with peas, beans, and lentils. In this row of beds are sown lettuces, radishes, cabbages, and other European vegetables. I have reserved one part for sugar-canes. On the high ground I have transplanted pineapples, and sown melons. Finally, round every bed, I have sown a border of maize, that the high bushy stems may protect the young plants from the sun. I was delighted with the result of the labour and industry of a delicate female and a child, and could scarcely believe it was accomplished in so short a time. "'I must confess I had no great hope of success at first, said my wife, and this made me averse to speaking of it. Afterwards, when I suspected you had a secret, I determined to have one too, and give you a surprise. After again applauding these useful labours, we returned to discharge our cargo, and as we went, my good Elizabeth, still full of horticultural plans, reminded me of the young fruit-trees we had brought from the vessel. I promised to look after them next day, and to establish my orchard near her kitchen-garden. We unloaded our vessels, placed on the sledge all that might be useful at Falcon's Nest, and arranging the rest under the tent, fixed our pinnace to the shore by means of the anchor and a cord fastened to a heavy stone, and at length set out to Falcon's Nest, where we arrived soon, to the great comfort of my wife, who dreaded the burning plain at Tent House. End of chapter 20